Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us for the NCC podcast. God is doing so many great things in our community, and I trust that he's doing great things in your life as well. And I trust that God is going to speak to you through this message. Happy Thanksgiving! Yeah? Come on, it's Thanksgiving season, it's exciting. Anybody getting like their menu ready? Anybody? Yeah, anybody assigned like a new dish that you've never done before? Anybody feel like it's sabotage? No? I got assigned um, sweet potato casserole. And uh, I just want you to know that because I've never done that before. And I'm scared. I am very, very scared. But it's okay because I, um, I have Pinterest. And also, what did, what did we do before there was Pinterest, right? It's like, how did that, how did that actually happen? Okay. Anyway, um, I'm excited about Thanksgiving. I think it's going to be a wonderful time. By the way, do you know what you did this week? Are you aware of what you did this week? You packed and gave away 9,000 meals to kids in Bossier schools that are in need. Are you kidding me? There's going to be kids that eat three meals a day during this holiday break because of you. Kids who are food insecure, kids who are homeless, kids who are living in hotel rooms or in, in, in places that honestly we can't even think about. And they got to go home with enough food to make sure that they come back to school with full bellies, ready to learn, ready to keep going with their lives. That changes culture forever. You want to talk about something that will change a classroom culture? Not having hungry kids will change a classroom culture. And I'm so excited. You know, when Jesus talked about the things that were important to him in Matthew 25, and he put it in the context of Judgment Day, which feels serious, right? And, and what, you know that one of the things he decided to highlight was feeding hungry people? It matters to him. It matters to him that we care about our community, that we support our community in that way. And I, I want to be clear, we don't help those people around here. We don't help those people. You know what I'm talking about? We don't help those people's kids. Those are our kids. Those are our kids. We, we help our community. It's us, right? Just the same way that I would take care of my sister's kid or I would take care of my best friend's kid. I want to make sure that those kids have what they need. And you did that, guys. You did that because of your consistent generosity. You did that. You made that happen. I, I, it's already a happy Thanksgiving. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's look at our scripture for today. It's going to be John 13, 34 through 35. Okay, let me set the scene for you. Um, Jesus, who Christians believe, is the Son of God and God. Okay, both. Because we believe in a three-part God. That it, that's what the Trinity is, okay? A God that is expressed in three personas, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Basically, we believe in God as community, Right? Do you see what I'm saying? And so Jesus, we believe, 2,000 years ago, came in the flesh to this earth, fully God, fully man, that he lived a perfect life. He showed us how to love and how to live completely different. He spoke to people who were in power and who were oppressed. He spoke to people who were on the fringes of society and in mainstream society. And he cared about 
every single one of them. And, and then what we believe is that he died an unjust death, that he was sent to the cross by the, the leaders of that day because he posed a threat, a real threat to the status quo. But what Christians believe is that he was not murdered and he was not martyred, but rather he laid down his life willingly, that he took on the sin of the whole world so that we would have an opportunity to have a relationship with God again. But we don't end there because we are not worshiping a dead God. We are not adhering to a dead prophet's ideology. We believe that he is alive today, that three days later he rose from the grave, not figuratively, but literally, and that today he is alive and advocating for you and I, and that his spirit is available to us to empower every single day, okay? So let me set the context for the scripture. Right before he dies, he has a dinner with his closest disciples, okay? And he tells them something very important. That was rude. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, and remember, he's about to go to the cross, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Today, I want to talk about the best holiday ever. The best holiday ever. Let's pray. God, thank you for these people. Thank you for this moment that we have together. Lord, speak to our hearts with your words. Don't let them just hear the words that come out of my mouth. Let them hear your heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so biblically, and when I'm talking about the Bible, I'm talking about this collection of books that were written over a thousand years, this, this collection that we put into leather that smells really good, right? So, so this Bible, biblically, holy days or feast days were really important. Really, really, really important because God's plan from the beginning was community, to create community. That's why when people are like, do I need church? You need community. You need ecclesia, which is, which is the word for church, but you need a community of believers. What, what form that takes, whatever, but you've got to have a community if you're going to do Christianity because Christianity is a part of God's plan for the earth, and God's plan for the earth is community, okay? So, so you have this, this thing, this, this community thing that's been important to God from the very beginning, and, and part of it was feasts or holy days. And they're laid out all through the, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. And one of the places that they're laid out is Leviticus 23. You can read it later. It's super interesting. And it starts with the Sabbath. It starts with laying out the Sabbath. And, and, and sometimes I forget that the Sabbath is a weekly holy day. The Sabbath for the, the God's people, the, the children of Israel, 
was a weekly holy day. It was a weekly day of celebrating. It was a weekly day of remembering. It was a weekly day of prioritizing. It was a weekly day of all of these things. And, and then you keep reading, and there's all kinds of different, different celebrations. There's ones that you would be familiar with, like the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Passover. And then there's like the Feast of Booths, which hardly anybody's ever heard of, but was also very cool. And so there's all these different feasts and all these different holy days. And we're not going to study those this morning at all. But what I want you to get out of it is this. God cares about celebrating. He cares about celebrating. He cares about us getting together and remembering and being grateful and gathering around him and around his principles. These feast days, these holy days, these holidays, huh? We're really, really important to them. And, and we're moving into our festival days right now. And you're like, well, they're not listed in Leviticus 23. They are not. They are the ones that we have chosen to set aside, to remember, to celebrate, to be thankful, to reset our mind, right? Do you hear what I'm saying? So we're moving in to that season but can I just ask you a question? Where does it go off track? Because it really sounds like a great idea in theory. Like celebrating, remembering, being thankful. But, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just, it sometimes just feels like a lot. Doesn't it sometimes feel like a lot? Anybody ever get like, Get like to, to the beginning of November and then you start having that, that those butterflies in your stomach because you know what's coming up. Where, where does it go off track? So um, I'm a nerd. If you don't know that, I'm letting you know. But um, I embrace it. I've been a nerd my whole life, forever and a day. I was even a twirler, which meant that I was like a whole nother level of nerd than you've even been exposed to. I don't even think they allow that kind of nerd anymore. Um, in, anyway, so I, I have a fellow twirler with me, so I had to throw that, throw that out there. I see you, I see you. Um, but, um, I was a, a very, very high level nerd. And, um, one of the things that nerdy people like to do is we care about words a lot. And I love words. I love, I love studying words. I, I love knowing kind of where words came from and what's going on with words. And so holy days and the word holiday have the same origin, right? So holiday came from the concept of holy days. Why? Because the holy days back in the day were the only time that you got off work. They were the time that you had a break. They were the time that your, um, you know, your boss would give you extra food or would give you extra money or would give you a gift or you would get a benefit of some time. So it was a time where you could rest. It was a time where you didn't have to go to work. You didn't have to go to the field. You didn't have to do all of these different things. And so it, it, it's, it's happened. And then English is created, which is a beautiful language that was created on accident. And that causes all kinds of problems with us. Because when we hear the word holiday, there's two competing definitions going on in our brain, right? One is this a day that's set apart for celebrating, remembering, 
being together, being thankful. And the other one is a vacation and time off, right? A rest, period. So you can say, I'm going to take a holiday. Oh, where are you going on holiday? What are you doing for your holiday, right? And it's like that that brings up images of like, you know, getting to drink out of, of the drinks that have the umbrellas and propping your feet up and see, right? Or, or whatever your thing is. It, it, it's a break. A holiday's a break. It, it's a break from time. And I love holidays, but this is the sentence that, that, that I think causes us the problem. Our language leads us to believe as we near the holidays that we're about to have a holiday. Did you hear what I said? Our language leads us to believe that as we are nearing the holidays, that we're about to have a holiday. So our expectation is that we're about to get a break. And it doesn't quite work that way. Holidays can be stressful. They can be stressful for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons they can be stressful is because of the people who are sitting around our tables or who are not sitting around our tables. Because of the memories and the cycles and the challenges that we face. And so we're going into this holiday and we're like, I need a break, but we're walking into some stuff. And I don't know about you, but I think I think most tables have a few different types of people. You want to talk about them? Let's do it. Okay. First one is the critic. The critic. You know that person? That person who always finds the thing to talk about, you know? Like they, they, they're, they're the one who's like, oh, it's so nice that you tried to make the dressing this year. Or this is my favorite one because it comes up a lot. Um, you know, I just love that you're such a relaxed housekeeper. <laughs> you're so fun. Your house really looks lived in. Thank you. I mean, it's true, but really, did we have to say that? You know, you have the critic. Maybe they say even more direct things, but you, you know, you might have the critic around your table. I don't know. Maybe you do. Um, how about the steamroller? You know, that person when they walk in the door and they just knock everybody, everything, every, it's just, boom, I'm here and I am now in charge. No one asked me, but I am appointed. And I'm going to steamroll my way through this holiday until it's nice and flat. And you have to decide, are you going to stand up or are you just going to lay you know, as comfortably as you can beneath the, and it's like, what is going on? It's like the steamroller walks into your house, and you thought you were having a break, and suddenly it's like crunch. What's going on? And then there's the sponge. How about that person, the person who drains all your energy? You know, you walk into your holiday 100% full, and you're in two hours or 30 minutes or 20 minutes or five, and you're at 10%. You're like an iPhone battery after an update. You just drained, right? Then you have the victim. 
everything's everyone else's fault. Always, for all time. And you have offended them. You don't know how yet. Well, let me just tell you, they're already offended. Your potatoes offended them. Everything you do offends them. The way that you parent children offends them. The way you don't parent children offends them. The the fact that you go to church offends them. The church you go to offends them. What you're wearing offends them. What you're not wearing offends them. What you said offended them and what you didn't say, oh, it offended them. And they're all sitting at your table. And you're walking in thinking you're on holiday. Picturing your fruity drinks. Picturing your pretty little waves. All the things. I'm taking a break. Nope. Because they're waiting for you. Sitting at your table. Okay, before we go any further, can we just get real practical on how to manage holiday stress? You're going to want to write this down. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. Because these are tried and true ways of dealing with the stress. Because if you're going to have something that you're going to encounter, one of the best things you can do is go ahead and game plan. Don't just hope for the best. Don't just ignore it. Don't just show up like, oh, it's going to be different this year. It hasn't been different for 10 years, Mildred, okay? Like, we need a plan. And I'm going to tell you a couple of Philip and I's favorite ways of dealing with these kinds of things. The first one is very funny. It's called bingo. All right, you ready? This is bingo. Any stressful situation that you ever have to go into, each person, or you can just do it by yourself. It really doesn't matter, actually. But each person, if there's multiple people, or you can do it by yourself, picks three things that normally irritate you to death or really upset you that you are almost sure will happen. And then whoever's three things happen first wins. So you suddenly turn the bad thing into points. They say that rude thing they say every year, and instead of being upset, you're like, bingo! (laughs) The second one is called dessert dash. So if you have one predominantly really annoying thing that happens, like, Every single year, and it happens multiple times, this is for you. And so every time you write it down, you have to decide in advance. No choosing on the spot, okay? This is pregame, all right, pregame. So you write it down, and, and, and you agree. If you're with someone, you agree on it. And if you're not, you just do it with yourself. And every time that thing happens, you go get another dessert. I'm just saying, it's a win-win for everybody. It's fantastic. Okay, those are funny, but, but here really are four things that, that are very, very helpful. Okay, ready? Although somebody did come up to me after the last service and was like, bingo's going to change my life. And I was like, it really kind of can, but whatever. All right, so let's, let's talk about serious preparation. Um, you can do this by yourself or you can do this with your spouse if you have a spouse or if you're, um, you go in with your sister or your brother or your best friend or whatever it is. Um, you can do it with someone or you can do it alone. And this is the first question we ask. What could go wrong tomorrow and what will we do when it goes wrong, if it goes wrong? What could go wrong tomorrow and what will we do or what will I do if it goes wrong? And don't be hyperbolic here. Be, be serious. So, you know, th- this thing could go wrong. This person could blow up. This, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk into the next room. I'm going to take a break. Um, I'm going to, you know, go take a walk. I'm going to, whatever it is, 
this is, this is going to be, this could go wrong. This could happen. And I have a plan for how we're going to handle it when it happens. Because oftentimes we know the things that might happen, but instead of creating a plan for them, we just sit in fear of them. And pre-gaming it takes the fear away. Okay, pre-gaming, it takes the fear away because now I don't have to wonder if you're going to react the way I want you to. We've already talked about what we're going to do together. Okay, the second question is, if you're going with someone, ask somebody, what do you need from me tomorrow? If you're hosting, it might be something like, I need you to stand next to the rolls and make sure they don't burn this year. Okay, like, or I need you to not leave me alone with cousin so-and-so for the first hour so that I can settle in. Ask, ask your person, what do you need from me? Like, what's the core, all right? What, and then we have a third question, what do you want from me? Because that's different. I may want you not to watch the Cowboys game. But you may not be able to give me that, okay? But at least I was able to say it out loud, right? And we had a conversation, and then I can go, okay, well, I'm watching the Cowboys game, but I can do this instead. So do you hear what I'm saying? So it's that pre-gaming. It's that conversation. And then the fourth thing is this. My daughter came up to me after the last service, um, Carolina, and said, Mom, I have a critique on your sermon. And I said, thank you, because I do appreciate feedback. And she said, um, you forgot to say number one, two, three, and four. And that is really not helpful for people who are taking notes. I said, thank you. Anyway, so number four on the list is make a, a break basket. Make a break basket. Now, this is how you make a break basket. If you're hosting people in your home, go to a closet that only you are going to have access to, okay? And put a basket in there with your favorite little treats, little chocolates, if you like chocolate, if you like, you know, just like whatever, some water, because that's important, some water, and then a note that you've either written to yourself or that you've written to each other if you think that your significant other writes good notes. If they don't, write it to yourself, okay? And so you put it in the basket, and then if, if something really happens where you need a break, You've already prepped your break. And you could say, oh, I need to run. And then you go back there and you eat your chocolate, you drink your water, you read your note, you refill your basket, and you keep going, okay? These are really practical ways. This is what's so funny. If you prep that basket, you won't need to use it. Do you know why? It's because you've already prepped. You've already prepared. And now we've talked about some really practical ways of preparing, but as Christ followers, there's always another step. And we have to ask ourselves when we go into any situation, no matter how normal, no matter how mundane, no matter how whatever, okay? But what is it that Jesus would have me do? And how would Jesus have me think? What does it look like? to live out that verse in John chapter 13 in this situation. You know, Pastor Philip's favorite verse is Romans 12 too. Um, He he sneaks it into every sermon. It's like, where's Waldo? It's going to be there. You may as well find it. 
Is he going to paraphrase it? Is he going to quote it? How's he going to do it? Is he going to break it up? It's going to be in every single sermon. And what it says is it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Because this is the thing. The pattern of this world says that all those people that we name that are going to be at your table just need to be cut out of your life. They just need to be thrown out. They, they aren't adding value to you. They're energy drainers. Out. No more. Get rid of those people. Be healthy. And healthy means getting rid of all of the unhealthy people. Bad news, you are someone else's unhealthy person. I'm just telling you. It's like when you start getting rid of the weak link in the chain. There is something I learned really early in leadership. You keep doing that, eventually you will be the weakest link. It's just the way that it works. And so the world says this, and that's the pattern of this world, ostracizing, rejecting, getting rid of. And we have to say, wait a second, I don't conform to the pattern of this world. Instead, I want to be renewed, right? I want to be changed by the renewing of my mind. Or another translation says, I'm going to change my life by changing the way I think. And so the question is, does God have a mindset, sh- mindset shift for us in this season. And so let's look at 1 Peter 3, 8 through 17. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Okay. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord's against those who do evil. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Hey, this is for somebody. They have no power over you. None. You are walking back in with all of your power intact and with the power of the Holy Spirit in you. You don't have to be afraid of their threats anymore. You don't have to give their words power anymore. You do not have to do it. Don't be afraid of their threats. Don't be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as what? Lord. That means he's in control. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander, for it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. The command of the scripture is clear. My, my daughter, I was talking about her earlier, but my daughter Carolina and I had a, had a conversation the other day, and she was just talking about some difficult people in her life. And I said, it was great because we, we got to have this moment where we talked about how we can't love our enemies without enemies. You can't do good to people who have done bad to you without people doing bad to you. 
And so we can encounter these moments where we're dealing with difficult people or even mean people. And our response is, it shouldn't be like that, rather than, oh, he told me it was going to be like that. And he told me what I could do when it was like that. And he didn't leave me powerless. And he didn't leave me alone. And he didn't leave me unprepared. He, pre- he pre-gamed this thing really, really well. Because he said, hey, this is what could go wrong. They could be evil. So don't be evil back. They could be insulting. Don't insult them back. Instead, turn around and do good, and you will inherit a blessing. You will inherit a blessing from who? Them? No, me, because I'm going to give you every single thing that you need. You don't have to look to them anymore to give you what they can't. You can look to me to give me every, give you everything that you need. And so we know it's a different mentality. Um, This last... Uh, this last week, we were, um, I was on a call with one of our mentors. His name's Scott Wilson. And he's a pastor, and he was a pastor for a long time. And um, now he, he mentors pastors. And he told the story. And as soon as he told it, I was like, I've got to tell our church this story. This is a great story. And, and he tells a story about how he married into his wife's family. And his wife's family was just the, the, the complete description of dysfunction. It was just messed up. Every kind of dysfunction you can imagine. She was the oldest of seven kids. And every kind of dysfunction from addiction all the way through to, to anything you can imagine. It was present in his, wife's, um, in his wife's family. And they'd known each other for a really long time. And so they get married. And about three years in, something happened that changed his life forever. He was sitting um, in, they were hosting, and her family was over. And he was sitting back in the bedroom watching TV. And she walked in and said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm on break. So I'm watching TV. This is my break, right? I mean, it makes sense. I'm on break. So I'm watching TV. That's what I'm doing. I'm on break. And she looked at him and said, who told you you were on break? But the next sentence got me. She said, when my family's here, you're not on break. You're on a mission trip. You're on a mission trip. Did you hear me? You're on, you're on a mission trip. Because there's people out there who need the hope that you have on the inside of you. There, there's, there's people out there who need you to love them and care for them unconditionally. There's people out there who are willing to give up right now in their season. There's, there's people who are hurting around that table, and they may just look like annoying people to you right now who are messing up your break, but the problem is your perspective because you're not on break. You're on mission. And that one expectation can change everything. It can turn this holiday from being the most frustrating thing in the world to the most energizing and exciting adventure you've ever had. Because the expectation's different. You're not going to an all-inclusive resort. You're going on a mission trip. You're going to be light and salt. You're going to repay evil for good. You're going to show people how Jesus has loved you. That's who I'm going to be. 
you know, growing up, that's the way we were raised is, 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 is <laughs> my grandmother um, and grandfather were pastors. My, my mom and dad uh, were pastors and, and, and Christmas and Thanksgiving, um, my grandmother just thought that it was the time to look around the church and go, who doesn't have a place to go? Oh, you can come. You can come to our house. Also you. Have we met? I don't know. It's going to be great. And so our house, or her house rather, was the island of the misfit toys growing up, okay? You just walked in and you were like, I have a pumpkin pie. I don't know you and I do know you and you're kind of strange. Okay, I'm going to come over here and put it on the table. And it was just one of those things. But we never thought that it was our break. We understood that that was the time that you open your table to reach your arms out a little wider, to give people a place, to love people, to care for people, all of those things. And some of our closest friends and our closest people have come out of those moments where they just didn't have a place to go and we had a place for them at the table. Because that's the radical hospitality of Jesus. He set a place for you at his table when we didn't deserve it. And now he turns around and he says, hey, will you set a place at your table too? Will you set a place at your table too? So how can we stay on mission? Because creating Christ-centered culture, changing community applies to the holidays too. And staying on mission can be hard. Can't it? I mean, can't it really? Can we just be real? So I have given you this little piece, this handout. Everybody got one? If you don't have one, raise your hand. We got people. I've got somebody right here who doesn't have one. There, there, there. Wonderful. Just keep your hands up. I can kind of see. Oh, we've got a few people here. There. Everywhere. I feel like we should have Jeopardy music. Wouldn't that be more fun? He's so great. Okay, we got somebody there. We got somebody there. Wonderful. Okay, so as they're handing those out, I'm going to explain. This is your pregame card. When Philip was an offensive coordinator, he spent all his time on his play card. It drove me insane. And it was this large laminated card, and it had, it had their game plan for the whatever. We're about to go into what he calls the 40-day finish, but he's not here, so we are hijacking it. And I'm excited about it. Those of you who've been around know what that is. Those of you who have not, it's totally okay. It, Philip truly believes with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength that you should not waste the last 40 days of the year, but rather you should go into ramp-up mode and really work hard to get better in those last 40 days of the year. Who wants to do that? No one. But he says that that's a good idea, and this is why he says that it's a good idea, is because if you just write off the last 40 days of the year, which is about from Thanksgiving through um, the New Year's, if you just write it off every year and you just coast to the end, in 10 years, you've lost a year of your life. And so he says, no, why don't we do this? Why don't we finish the year strong so we can start the year fast? But what I like to say is this, is this is the way that we stay on mission and we remind ourselves that we're on a mission trip, not a holiday. That we're on a mission trip, not 
a holiday. And so I've given you these pieces of paper for you to, for you to write down some things for a moment that, that can kind of be your anchor. They can be your play card. They can be your thing that you hold on to as you go through the next 40 days, the next 42 days, all the way to the end of the year, reminding yourself that you were born for more than just rest and relaxation. You were born for mission. You are a world changer. You have more than enough. And there are people that are going to sit around your table who need what you have this year. Okay, so the very first thing on the list is this, gratitude, gratitude. I want you to take a moment and I want you to write down, and if you don't have a pen, there's pens behind you or in the front of the thing. And if you, and if you need one, just raise your hand because there's still people, just there's elves everywhere. It's great. Are we allowed to say elf in church? I don't know. We good? All right. Okay. So gratitude, gratitude. What's three things that you're grateful for? I want you to write them down. Well, I know what I'm grateful for. There is something powerful about writing down what you're grateful for. There's something powerful right now, right where you are. We're going to do homework. I told you I was a nerd. It's exciting. Write down three things you're grateful for. We got to do this quickly because we're going to wrap up and then you can go to lunch and it'll be great. Three things that you're grateful for. Three things that you're grateful for. This is going to be my challenge to you. For the next 40 days, until the end of the year, every single day, I want you to write down three more things. And try not to write the same thing every day. Well, I'm not going to be able to keep up with my journal. Don't make it complicated. Write it on the back of a receipt and throw it away. It's the writing that matters, not keeping it. You can put it in your phone. You, you can have a journal. You can write it in your Bible. It doesn't matter. But write down three things that you are grateful for because this is the deal. Any shift in perspective truly starts with gratitude, with acknowledging what God has done in your life, with acknowledging what you have in your life, with acknowledging what there really is to be thankful for. You got your three things written down? You got it? We're going to take a moment of gratitude. If you're still writing, it's fine, but we're going to take a moment. Father, and you can just say it right out loud where you are if you want to. Father, we thank you. We thank you for these things. God, I thank you. I thank you for my health. God, I thank you. I thank you for my friends, for incredible friends who've changed my life. And, Lord, I, I thank you that you have set me free from depression. Lord, I thank you that you did that for me. I'm so grateful today for what you've done for me. In Jesus' name, amen. And that's as simple as it is, right? You write down those three things, you thank God, and you move on for your day, okay? All right, the second thing is this, is generosity. Generosity. I, I want to just talk to you a little bit about perspective when it comes to generosity. Generosity is not just about someone else getting Generosity is about changing you and making your life and your world bigger. Generosity, hear me, because this is not a belief that's common here. Generosity makes your world bigger. Gener hear me, listen. Generosity makes your world bigger. Proverbs says it. The world of the generous gets bigger and bigger. And the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Let's talk about why that is. See, we all are given three things, every one of us. We all have a measure of time. What's funny about time is that every day we're given the same measure of time. 
We are all given a talent of some kind. Some of us are given more talents than others. Some of us are given flashier talents than others. But you know what? We are all given a talent. We're given a talent to develop. We're given natural talents. We are given a talent, something that we can do with excellence. And then we're all given treasure. We have treasure. We have treasure that we work for. We have treasure that we're given. We have treasure. And what's so funny is that we get all uptight about talking about generosity, but people who really understand money do not get uptight talking about generosity because they understand that the function of money is to create what you want to see in the world. So they use it that way in business, and they use it that way in their personal life, and then they use it that way through generosity. I want to see a world, listen to me, I want to see a world where this area and these schools and these kids are supported, where they feel valued. I want to change the culture of our school system. And guess what? God has given me tools to do that. And one of those tools is generosity. Because through generosity, I create. God was generous when he created the earth and he created a space for us, but he made the world literally. He created more through his generosity. Works that way with our time, too. We talk about serving, and sometimes people are like, oh, my gosh, people just want my labor. Let me tell you what happens when you serve. When you serve, your world gets bigger because you get to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. You get exposed to different ideas and viewpoints. You meet new people who can become friends. You have experiences that create bonds and common memories. You create more community for yourself. You open yourself up to better opportunities and bigger opportunities. It is insane what happens. That's why they tell college students and high school students to volunteer. It's not because they add value you because a lot of times they don't. It's because generosity creates a bigger world. You want to talk about your talents? There's opportunities for developing your talents here in this church that you will not get other places because other places will not let you decorate. They will not let you learn how to put on a party for 150 or 250 people. They won't let you practice leading on real humans. They won't teach you about child development and how to partner that knowledge with the word of God. See, when we give, when we choose to be intentionally generous, it's not just about obeying God's mandate to be generous, which, by the way, that is his mandate. And if you say his Lord, then it has to be part of your life. It's not just about making sure that other people have what they need. It is also about choosing a bigger world for ourselves. And if we want to change our culture and our mindset towards our holiday, we're going to have to change it to be more generous overall in every area of our life. You can't be stingy in one area and generous in the other, and it really work out well. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to write down three ways you're going to plan to be generous in the next 40 days. For some of you, can, can I just be real? It means you're going to start giving. We say, ah, the church just wants money. Let me tell you something. God will take care of his church. My question to you is, do you want to be a part of what he's doing? 
because that's always been me. I've always wanted to be a part. When I was not employed by a church, when I've been employed by a church, I can't believe that he lets me be a part of what he does on the earth. It is mind-blowing to me that I get the chance to be a part of planting churches among unreached people groups, that I get to be a part of putting wells in places where there is no clean water, that I get to be part of bringing the light of Jesus to college campuses. You may say, you get to do all that. Yes, because I'm generous, because I give. I'm a part of all of that. And every one of you who give is part of it too. So maybe it's maybe it's you start giving. Maybe you're going to bring an offering on Vision Sunday, which is December 11th, where Philip's going to tell us the word for 2023, and it's going to be a blast, and it's going to be incredible. Maybe you start with recurring giving because you say, you know what, I want to automate this, and I want to make this consistent, and I really want to show that I'm a part for the long haul. I want you guys to be able to know you can count on me as a partner. Maybe it's picking up a giving tree packet out there and helping a family that wouldn't have Christmas or wouldn't have bus passes or wouldn't have what they need to be able to get through the next time. I don't know what it is. Maybe you have an elderly neighbor who needs somebody just to help them, like, clean the house up and get their Christmas going. Maybe you can volunteer to show. I don't know. But pick three things. Just write them down. Because this is our scripture for giving. Our scripture for giving is not get convicted, get emotional, and give. Our scripture for giving is everyone should give what they have decided in their heart to give without compulsion or guilt because the Lord loves a cheerful giver. You get to decide. You get to decide what generosity looks like. Maybe it's starting to serve in babies and kids, and you may say, well, I don't want to do that for the whole year, but maybe you could just serve over the next few weeks because there's so many different servant leaders who are trying to go on vacation and they've been faithful this whole year and you're going, I could step in. I could step in. I could help I could help out for two weeks. I could help out for three weeks. You're gonna get addicted, I'm just telling you. But you you know, maybe you could do that. Write down what what are you gonna do with generosity over the next forty two days, forty days. And then there's grit. 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 Man, wish there was a different word there. Because anybody who knows what grit means, it, it, it means it means discipline. It means leaning into discipline, right? It means leaning into what to what God has. Um, as I told you, I, I, and they can come out and play. Um, we're about to close, but um, I didn't do the forty day finish with Philip for years and years and years and years and years because I didn't like it, and um, that's just true. <laughs> I, I really didn't want to intentionally get better in the last 40 days of the year. Um, I, I wanted to do something else, but not that. And so I would pick things that um, were, like, really meaningless and didn't really do anything. But last year, um, I had enough pain in my life that I decided that I needed a change. Anybody else motivated by pain to change? Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll meet together in the Stupid People Club later, right? It's like we, we have to be in pain in order to change. Um, but I was, I was. I was dealing with a lot of back pain, and I was dealing with a lot of anxiety. And I said, you know what? Philip has been telling me for years that if I would stretch every day that my life would change. I'm going to prove him wrong. I'm going to stretch for 40 days in a row. Nothing is going to change, and then he will be off my back forever. And the problem was is I stretched for 40 days in a row, and my life completely changed. And I didn't realize how much stress I was carrying in my body. And I didn't realize how much it was affecting my sleep. And I didn't realize how much of my anxiety was attached to it. 
and I didn't realize how flexible I could be and how much it would make me feel better and more energetic in so many different areas of my life. And this is what it did for me is it made me realize that if I didn't know that, then what else didn't I know? I had been 40 days away from a completely different existence my whole life. What are you 40 days away from? What would it look like if you actually read your Bible for 10 minutes a day for 40 days? What would it look like if you actually prayed and journaled for 40 days? Actually, what would it look like, hey, if you worked out 15 times in 40 days, mind, body, soul, baby, it's all together. Everything's spiritual. What would it look like if you just said, except for those holy days, I'm not gonna have any desserts? Like, what would it look like if you just picked that one thing, that one obstacle, that one thing that you've been stubborn about? And you know what that thing, you know, you know. What if you picked it and you said, I'm gonna write it on this paper I'm going to do it. And I'm going to have grit. I'm going to see if 40 days makes a difference. If 40 days can make a difference. This is the final thing on that paper. It says grace. You got those people around your table, and this is what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to, I want to encourage you to love like Jesus loves. See, Jesus gave us the most expensive gift ever, grace. Did you hear me? Jesus gave us the most expensive gift ever, grace. This season, will you give the most expensive gift ever to those around your table, grace? Will you give, see, grace is not deserved. Grace is not deserved. A lot of times what we want to do is we want to give grace to people who deserve it. We want to forgive people who've earned it. But that's not the way that forgiveness and grace works with Jesus. We give grace because he gave grace. We forgive because he forgave. And if you're going to give grace this year, you need to give it this way. You need to give it wrapped in prayer. Wrap it in prayer. Don't just like show up at like the family gathering and expect to give grace when you've been given something else for 10 years. You got to start now. You got to pray for that person. What if we prayed so hard that, that we got insight into that person's life, not so we should, could share it with that person, but so that we would know how to better love that person? And then we've got to give it without any strings attached, guys. Because what happens is we will do good to those who have done evil for us. And because we've watched a lot of Hallmark movies, we think that immediately they're going to stop being evil and be kind. And that's just not the way that it usually works. We have to give it without any strings attached. We just give it, believing that we will get from him. Do you see the difference? I give freely because he gives freely and he is satisfying everything. I'm not giving with a string attached going, you better give it back. Did you see how much grace I gave you? Can't you be graceful to me? And then give it in love. Give it in love. Don't walk in announcing you're giving grace. You know what? I'm giving you grace this year. That is not grace. 
Oh, come on, we've all done it. Give it in love. You know, that scripture said, be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope you have. That means somebody asked a question. Sometimes we go in, guns a-blazing, trying to prove who God is to everybody. When he told us that by this, you will prove that you're my disciples, that you love the way that I loved. What if we went in just given grace and then if they ask a question, we, we reply in humility and in love and in gentleness. You stand with me all over this place. This is what I know in this room, there's real wounds and there's real pain. And I just want us to take a second and give that to the Lord so that we can be whole and complete and ready to be on mission. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? This is what I feel. I feel like for some of you, you hear about that grace and honestly, you haven't taken advantage of it yet. You haven't really met Jesus. You haven't made him Lord of your life. You are not a Christ follower. I'm not using the word Christian. I'm not asking you if you joined a church. I'm not asking you about any of those things because around here, that's pretty, that's pretty common. With every head bowed and every eye closed, If you say destiny, I I don't know Jesus. I don't know that Jesus, but I want his grace in my life. And I want him to be Lord of my life. Because this is the thing, if he's not Lord of your life, trying to do all this will just make you stressed out. He's gotta be Lord first. He's gotta be Lord first. There's an order to it. So I'm just gonna ask you right now, if you say, he's not Lord of my life right now. He's not, he's not Lord of my life. Would you just raise your hand right now? And I just want to pray for you. I see you. I just want to pray for you. I see you. I see you. He's not Lord of my life, but I want him to be. I'm going to wait just another moment because I think it's important for you to acknowledge that today. Nobody's going to ask you to come down. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I just want to see you and pray for you. If you say, he's not Lord of my life right now, but I want him to be, just raise your hand right now, right where you are. I see you. I see you. That's important. What you just did was important. Thank you, Jesus. God, you saw the hands of the people who raised them and said that they want to make you Lord. They want to make you Savior. And Father, I pray that you'd meet them right where they are. I want everybody to just pray this right after me. Heavenly Father, I believe you sent Jesus. I accept his sacrifice. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Journey with me as I learn how to walk this out. As I learn how to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, just one more moment. If you say, Destiny, I, I, I'm going into some tough stuff, and I just need prayer this, this holiday season. I, I'm going into some tough stuff. I hear what you're saying, that I'm on a mission trip, but honestly, I, I, I'm feeling a lot, and this is not an easy season, and I just want you to pray for me. Just raise your hand right where you are. Just pray. 
All right, I see you. I see you. In the name of Jesus, I speak peace and hope. I speak peace and hope. I speak peace and hope and healing in the name of Jesus. Healing in the name of Jesus. For wounds that have been open for years, I speak healing. I pray. I, I, I see in my mind there's these there's these wounds in your heart that have been open for years, and they are just festering sores of pain. But if you will let him, the Holy Spirit will clean those out, and you will be able to heal and move forward in your life. But you have to lean into him. You have to allow him in. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to do a work in your life. Lord, I pray that you would start to do that work in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you that you can do more than we could ever imagine, even in a short period of time. Hey, I just feel this really strongly, and so I'm just, I'm going to do it. Um, I feel like some of you need prayer, and so right now I want to just invite you. If you answered either one of those, you do not have to, but I want to invite you to come and pray so that we can pray for you. Just come to the front, and I just want to lay my hands on you and pray for you. So come right now. If you raised your hand for either of those and you just want prayer, I see you. Come on. I see you. Come on. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Pastor Clarissa, come on. Pastor Steve, come pray. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. Thank you, Jesus. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace, amazing grace, how sweet.
people down here are just going to continue to pray. If you're out there and you didn't want to come down, but you need prayer where you are, will you just raise your hand for me? If you're out there and you didn't want to come down, but you need prayer where you are, I always want to give you an opportunity. Amen. Okay, listen. So the last part of that sheet, while they pray, um, has three little blanks on it under grace. Did you see that? What I want you to do is write down three people that you're going to give grace to over the next 42 days. It's okay. You don't have to show your sheet. You don't have to turn it in. It's just for you. But three people you're going to give grace for. Three people, maybe maybe those people who are going to be around that table who are a little bit, oh. But you're going to write down their names and you're going to pray for them and you're going to give them grace because you were given grace. Amen? Amen. Well, we're going to allow people just to continue to pray. If you want to stay and worship and pray, you can. But for everybody else, we're just going to soft dismiss you and let you go. We don't take an offering here. We do believe in giving. We told you that. They put that stuff up there. It'll show you how to give. Do it. Um, I love you. I believe in you. You're not alone. It's going to be the best holiday ever because we're on mission. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and share our podcast. For more content from NCC and how to get connected, visit ncc.team.